I was asked a question a little while ago by a person who said that they were struggling with, with moving from being a nominal Christian into being a, he used the word radical Christian. I, I would rather use the word today strong Christian. Going from being a nominal or a weak Christian to a strong Christian. And I thought this question that I was asked would be good for us to explore today on the first day of the year. How can we, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, how can we be stronger at the end of this year than we are now? And I found three passages that can help us to do that. And all of these three passages are in the positive. In other words, they're telling us to do these things so that we can not have these things in our lives. We get so busy doing the do's that we don't have time to do the don'ts. That's the idea. We do the things we're supposed to do, and that will help us to don't do the things we're, we're, we don't want to do. All right? So, um, turns out the Bible has a lot to say about pleasing God. And that really is at the heart of this question that I was asked. How can I go from being a nominal Christian to a more radical Christian? He said, I've tried, but I seem to be struggling with that. Because there are three different ways in which we can live. We can live our lives pleasing ourselves. And as far as all of mankind, I'm not just talking about Christians, but as far as all of mankind, this is where man lands. We land pleasing ourselves. And even our culture says, take care of yourself because no one else will. Live for yourself. You've got to take care of, you know, those are the kind of things that you hear. Now, the Bible tells us we're not to live for ourselves. This is a radical different philosophy than we find in the world. We are not to be, just to please ourselves. I find also the less mature we are, the more we are trying to please ourselves in the right now. We're not even thinking about what I need 10 years down the road or 15 years down the road, but we're thinking about right now. The second way that we could live is to be a people pleaser. Now understand clearly, the Bible says that we are to serve other people. The Bible says we are to put other people's interests above our own. When I'm talking about being a people pleaser, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we are moved, that we want to live our lives and get the approval of the people around us. Now we are no longer living for God's approval, but we're living for the approval of people. And if you are living for the approval of people, well, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, beware if all men speak well of you. Because if everybody's speaking well of you, you're probably not living right for God. Because if the world likes, uh, doesn't like you, they, they don't like Jesus and the principles of Jesus, and you're going to have people not like you, and if you're going to live to please people as a Christian, that's going to be an ultimate failure for you. Now, finally, the third way you can live, is you, wanna, you don't want to live to please yourself, you don't want to live to be a people pleaser, but you want to live to please God. You want God to be pleased with you. As a pastor, my goal is not to make you happy. My goal is to make God happy and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the goal of a pastor as he's ministering to the church. Now, this mindset of a strong Christian uh, is a self-sacrificial, serving others, pleasing God mindset. And you will notice as we talk about the, these things that there's nothing about putting ourselves first or taking care of ourselves because no one else will or living your own truth or following your own heart or living in the moment. These kind of mindsets, though common in our culture, are a sure way to be a shallow Christian. These are the things the world is doing, but we as Christians have something much deeper and much more profound. 
Jesus was teaching one day and a woman cried out to him and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that fed you. So she's talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what a blessing it was to raise Christ. Can you imagine? The Bible says that Mary is blessed among women. She was chosen for this role by God. And what a blessing she was. And we know that she was a, a, a spectacular young gal because she sings a song to Elizabeth. And then in this song, it's full of scriptures. She knew the word of God well, and she submitted herself to this thing that God had called her to do, knowing that it would be difficult for her to do. Yes, she's blessed among women. But here was Jesus's response to this lady. More than that, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Think of that for a moment. More than the blessing that Mary had for raising Christ are those of you, myself included, who hear the word of God and do it. God's word has been preserved for us. We want to know it more. We want to learn it. We want to memorize it. We want to read it. We want to study it so we can know what God wants us to do. If you don't hear the word of God, you can't do the word of God. And so you've got to put yourself in a position to hear God's word in order to do his word. So let's look at three things the Bible says that we should do. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now I want to make it perfectly clear that the Bible does have passages where it talks about fighting against sin. I'm not saying you don't do that. I'm just saying if we do these three things we're looking at today, it's going to make it a lot easier because you're not going to have that much sin to fight against. All right. So first of all is Galatians 5.16, where Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's telling you something positive to do so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the flesh are listed in this chapter and they're there's a bunch of them and they're pretty much what you think they would be envies jealousy um, sexual lust murders ang outbursts of anger all of these are lust of the flesh and so he's saying if you will walk by the spirit then you will not fulfill the things of the flesh and i love this because it gives us something positive to do i'm not thinking i've got to stop that i've got to stop this thing i'm not focused in on that thing but I'm focused in on God and I'm focused in on walking in the spirit. And now I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh because I am walking in the spirit. Now, how do we do this? How do we walk in the spirit then? First of all, when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you obey him and follow him, he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him pick up his cross and follow me. That's anyone. Anyone who wants, that's you included. You can pick up your cross and you can follow him. And when you do that, the spirit of God is put inside of you. This is a pretty amazing thing. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit of God. Later on, we could talk about the empowering of God to do the things God wants you to do. But right now as a Christian, the spirit of God is inside of us. This is so phenomenal that angels don't have the spirit of God inside of them. Not, as far as we know from the Bible, they don't. But over and over, we're told as believers that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So listen to what he says about walking in the spirit in Romans 8, 14, and 16, 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. 
I love the way he puts it here. If you're led by the Spirit, then you're a son of God. Are you led by the Spirit? As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Now, what does he mean by being led by the Spirit? Some Christianese that we use is, I feel, I feel a check, so I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do it. Or I'll say, I just don't feel at peace about doing that. And when I don't feel at peace, because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, when I don't feel at peace about doing something, it doesn't mean I'm not supposed to do it, but I certainly stop and pray and make a strong, prayerful decision. And because I'm in turmoil over something, at times, I have said, I'm not going to do that because I don't feel right about it. I don't feel at peace with it. I'm not looking inwardly at Robert Furrow to decide what, what is my gut telling me to do? What am I telling me to do? I'm looking for the Spirit of God to lead me. And I try to make prayerful decisions even about things that don't look like God might want or not want me to do it. We might have a choice to do something that's perfectly okay to do, but our Heavenly Father knows what He wants for us and has a different perspective than us. So it may be something that although it is okay to do, it wouldn't be sin to do, you can go and do it, but it might be that God would not want you to do it, and so we want to be led by the Spirit. Or God may lead you to do something that you don't want to do, but the Holy Spirit leads you because God wants you to do it. And so we want to follow those. And I say make a prayerful decision. If you say, well, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this thing. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to make a decision. Then make a prayerful decision. Pray about it and then make a decision. And if you make the wrong one, God is big enough to come in and redirect you. And I've had this happen in my life where I make a prayerful decision about something and then, I, I, then something else happens and I kind of go, you know what? I don't think God wants me to do that. God's big enough if you make a decision that he doesn't want to come in and direct you and you are open and humble by making a prayerful decision and you are being led by the Spirit as he works in you. It goes on to say, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption whereat we, whereat we cry, Abba, Father. That is, he is our heavenly Father. He has given us the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and we can be led by the Spirit in that way. Now, the second way we are led by the Holy Spirit is through the Scriptures. And in fact, any check in your spirit or any lack of peace in your life, if that leads you to do something that is against what the Scriptures say, then you know it's not the Holy Spirit, right? So if, if you feel like, I'm, I'm led to slander this person, you know that's not from the Holy Spirit. But I just feel at peace slandering them. Well, that's fine. Your conscience may be seared with a hot iron, but the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to do something that is against what Scripture says to do. That is always the authority. Because when I'm led by the Spirit, I feel a check or I feel I've got to learn how to walk in that, and I could be wrong with that. My own feelings could be getting involved in it. I might feel uneasy about something for another reason besides the Holy Spirit. And so always the scriptures take precedent. The, Reform, the Reformed Fathers put it this way, sola scriptura, the Bible alone. That is what we want. We want our direction from the Word of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. Jesus said this in John 14, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am present with you, but the Helper... 
Now the Holy Spirit is called our helper. And all of those who are sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit, our helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now think for a moment of who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples here in John 14. These are the apostles. These are the men who are going to be writing the scriptures. And so he says, I'm giving you the helper and he's going to lead you into all truth and he's going to bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. So he's giving the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. You and I may hear from the Holy Spirit. It will never be contradictory towards scripture. And I think it will always be something that is revealed in scripture. Because God's word is inspired by him, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God or the woman of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing for every good work. We're thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has for us, and we lack in nothing. There's nothing else that we need. So the first thing we want to do is to be led by the Spirit. Now, I wish that I could answer this question that was asked me. How do I go from being a nominal Christian to a radical Christian? I've tried and can't seem to get there. Uh, I wish I could say to you, look, I've got a passage for you and it's going to be like a light switch. You're going to read that passage and all of a sudden, I'm a strong Christian. But becoming a strong Christian doesn't happen like flipping a light switch. It happens more like a sunrise. You get up before the sun comes up. Maybe you just couldn't sleep. And you look outside and there's just a little bit of light. And you stare at it for a while and you realize it's not going to happen fast enough for me to see it. But you look away and you get your coffee or whatever it is in the morning and you sit back down and you look back outside and there's much more light. You look away for a while longer and you look back and now the sun is beginning to come over. The clouds are beginning to lighten up and it becomes a beautiful sunrise. That's the way we become stronger Christians. We walk in the Spirit day by day. Later on, this passage will say step by step in the Spirit. We're taking each step in the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we do one time and say, there, I'm going to be a strong Christian now. It's something that we live out day by day. We're walking in the Spirit. And when we do, we will not do the things of the flesh. The second passage that I have for you is John 15, 7 and 8. Here Jesus is telling the parable of the, it's kind of a parable. He's calling himself the vine and we are the branches. You are the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. That's what he's telling them. So we want to be branches that abide in the vine. And then at the end of this, he says this. This is John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's being attached to the vine, abide in Christ as words abide in us, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now this is powerful because it's telling us that if we abide in him and his words abide in us, then we will ask what we desire and it will be given. Let's go to the extreme to make the case of what this is not saying. Let's just say that I was a drug addict and I wanted heroin. And I read this passage and thought, well, I want some heroin, so I'm going to abide in Christ. I'm going to have his word abide in me. And whatever I ask, he said he would give me. So I'm going to do that. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, when you abide in Christ and his word abides in you, your desires become godly. 
Now God can give you what you desire because your desires have been transformed. There's an Old Testament passage that is similar. Psalms 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you are delighting in the world, then you're going to have worldly desires. For years, I mountain biked. I loved it. Mountain bike three times a week. But kind of like a three-hour ride three times a week. I loved it. And the more I rode, the more I did it, the more I delighted in it. The more I wanted a new bike with all of the new little gadgets that were on it. The more I wanted you know, the new tires that just came out and all of those things. I delighted in mountain biking and that became my desires for things that I had. Whatever you are delighting in, that is going to be the desires of your heart. Are you delighting in the Lord? Have you abided in Him? Notice again, this is something positive like the first scripture. To walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you your desires. We find ourselves changing as we're doing these things within our lives. Now the third passage is Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's very similar to the first two. It's telling us to do something so that something can happen in our lives. So listen to what it says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the thing that we're going to do. You are going to become a living sacrifice. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. And that's before he died on the cross. The cross has become a symbol to us that's very powerful because that's where he paid the price for us. But this is before that. It was a torture device. He was telling them, you got to lay down your life and follow me like this. So I beseech you by the mercies of God, God will help you do this. It's not going to be easy. You need God to help you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some people might say, well, as a Christian, I've got to be a living sacrifice. I don't like that. That's not reasonable. No, it is reasonable. That's why Paul kind of cut that off at the knees. This is your reasonable service that you would be a living sacrifice. This is what Christianity is. We are sacrificing our lives to live for him. Paul said in Galatians, the life I now live, I live for the son of God. The life that we have as followers of Christ, as disciples, is that we are now living for the Son of God. And then it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world puts pressure on us. And whatever culture you're in, you become conformed to that culture. We begin to think like the cultures that we're in. Now, some might want to fight against this, but if you, were in, if you lived in 1750 in England, your culture would have made you think one way. If you lived in the 1930s, let's say the late 1930s in Germany, the culture around you would have made you think a certain way. In the early United States, there was a, in the early 1900s in the United States, even 50 years after slavery had ended, there was still a culture that brought out these Jim Crow laws and continued to put down what was called the freedman, the, who the, the freedmen being the black people who had been freed. And the culture continued to conform and people thought that was right. Today, we know that it was wrong. So our culture conforms us. Now here it says, don't be conformed to either our culture. 
And we're living and believing a lot of things because of our culture. And a lot of times there will be objections to the things of God because of things we've learned because we've been, we've been conformed by our culture. But being conformed is pressure. We're being put into this pressure and made into this thing by the pressures of the world around us. But God says, but be transformed. What a great word. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's get this stuff that's wrong out of your mind. Culture may have some things right, but we know that God will have all things right. And so we renew our mind according to the scriptures. And we find ourselves then, well, listen to what it goes on to say. To say, (laughs) by the transforming of your mind, that you may prove what is the good acceptable and perfect will of God. God's got a good, acceptable, and perfect will for you. Now, I've heard this taught over the years that, that this good and, and acceptable and perfect will of God is three different wills for your life. And you may have found the good will of God, the city you live in, the profession you chose, the person you chose to marry, they may be good. But you might have missed out on the acceptable and, and maybe even the perfect But you're going to have to live where you are. This is the life you've chosen, and it's good. It's not bad. It's good. But some of you have have found the acceptable. Some of you have the acceptable spouse. You have the acceptable job, and you found the acceptable city to live in. And some of you have found the perfect wife, the perfect husband for you, and the perfect job, and the perfect city, and the perfect church, and you're living in the perfect will of God. I call this bullseye theology. You hit the bullseye. Boom, there I am. I found everything perfect. And I'm living the life God wants me to have. That's not what it's saying. It's saying nothing like that. Here's what it is saying. That when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, you prove that God's will for your life and other people's lives is good, acceptable, and perfect. It is three different aspects of the will of God in your life. It is good for you. It is acceptable to you. You can receive it. God's not going to do things that are horrible to you. And it is perfect. You aren't told what city to live in by God, but you are told how to live in the city that you're in. You aren't told what person to marry. You can't open up your Bible and say, who should I marry unless they have a biblical name. And if it's a biblical name like Jezebel that nobody uses, you're like, Jezebel? I'm supposed to marry Jezebel? I don't understand. But the Bible tells you how you are supposed to live in your marriage. That's the perfect will of God for you. The good, the acceptable, perfect will of God is how you are supposed to be as a husband and a wife in your marriage. How you're supposed to be as a person in a society. How you're supposed to be as a person within the church. These are all things that we are told. And it all begins as we sacrificially lay down our lives. As we say, Lord, I'm no longer living for myself. I'm certainly not going to live to be a people pleaser but I'm going to please you. And I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to delight in the Lord. And I want to live a sacrificial life. Now, there's one more phrase that I want to end with. And that's when Jesus said back in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. In the first passage, A little bit later on when it says walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So God is glorified when we bear fruit. 
you wonder, how can I glorify God this coming up year? I want people to see my life and glorify God. When you are attached to the vine and you bear fruit, you glorify God. When you walk in the Spirit and you bear fruit, you glorify God. May it be that this year we would glorify God by bearing fruit for Him. May the people around us see Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we would shine as a light for Him brightly. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are His church called as his followers and disciples. And may we live that way for him, that people around us could be drawn to Christ and that they would give their lives as we live our lives for Christ. Now you can remain seated as we close out our study in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity we've had today to be able to be in your word. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would help us, that we would be able to have a clear understanding as to what communion is. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.